Brothers and sisters in Christ, I must tell you that my faith is running on empty. I will get back to this in a moment, but I just want you to know that my faith is running on empty. And I'll try to explain what I mean. Back in 1990, the group Extreme came out with a song called More Than Words. You remember the melody? Saying I love you is not the words I want to hear from you. Maybe you recognize the melody. Words are more important. Saying I love you is not the words I want to hear from you. It's not that I want you not to say but if you only knew how easy it would be to show me how you feel. More than words is all you have to do to make it real. Then you wouldn't have to say that you love me because I'd already know. What would you do if my heart was torn in two? More than words to show you feel that your love for me is real. What would you say if I took those words away? Then you couldn't make things new just by saying I love you. There's a tension in this song by Extreme. The tension in the lyrics. The tension between words and action. In the song the question is, show me your love, then I wouldn't have to say these words. Showing love gives meaning and power to the words. The words, I love you, without the show of love, are meaningless. Without experiencing love, the words are filled with doubt, whether there is love or not. To show love is to give substance and power and meaning to the words when you say, I love you. Without the show of love, the words are dead, they're empty. They're fruitless. To say I love you is only powerful and fruitful if it is grounded in the experience of what love is. The same tension between words and action exists in our lessons today, particularly in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Now we've seen throughout this epiphany season that Jesus shows himself to be the light of the world by revealing himself in two ways, by his teaching and by his actions. At no time is there a teaching apart from deeds, be they miracle, whatever. Miracles either precede Jesus' teaching or the miracles follow Jesus' teaching. Everyone around him including us, I think, see these actions, these miracles, as proofs because we, humans, and at that time, those seeing Jesus, need to see proofs to accept something as true of what is said. In other words, whatever he says, whatever Jesus said, as we read, happens. So there is nothing that he says that does not come about. 
There's nothing that he says that does not happen. He turns water into wine. How? By his command. He gives a miraculous catch of fish. How? By a command, let your nets down. He takes away the fear from Peter when Peter falls before his feet and he says, don't be afraid. And in the next instant, Peter is following him. By his command, the fever leaves Peter's mother-in-law. And we need to remember that only Jesus has the authority and is written in the scriptures that he only can rebuke. No one else can rebuke because this word means change and create anew. In other words, only Jesus commanded by his word can change the status of someone, water into wine, forgiveness of sins, because he is the creator of the world. He made the world and only he can change it, the sinful world in which he came. His rebuke alone is sufficient to create anew what went wrong way back in the Garden of Eden. The word of his mouth is power and authority and creates anew. So God is love. He is the definition of the word love. He is the action love and can do nothing else because he is what he is. He cannot act contrary. So when John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, God's word of love is the action of his son. It doesn't mean God so loved the world and to prove it, he's going to give his son. No. God so loved the world that he gave. In other words, there's an equal sign. In this, you know God's love. God's love can only be expressed through the sacrifice of his son. Only he can forgive sins and tell the paralytic to pick up his bed and walk. Which is easier to do. Tell him his sins are forgiven or cure him. Only the Son of Man has this. We have this same tension with our words. Words between action. Or the tension between words and action. The nature of our words and when we speak is completely different. We see action and we see the words are descriptive in nature. We can describe something, but we can't create something with the mere mention of words. They can explain, our words can clarify, but in comparison to Christ's words, which we just saw, they cannot create, they have no power. They have no authority. So doubt always comes in. I love you. Show me, prove it to me. Our words do not call into existence that something that, that did not exist before. They can describe an idea. They can describe a thought, but they can't create. Our words are powerless. Our words are empty until we show what we mean by them. In and of themselves, our words are dead. For example, if I said I have a million dollars, what would you say? Show me the money, right? Show me the money. Follow me just into my office. I have a million dollars. Oh, yeah, show me the money. If I said, let there be light, or in this case, let there be heat, you'd laugh at me. It's a little bit different command. Let there be light. 
And of course, first I bring the flowers, then I say I'm sorry. But am I forgiven because of the flowers? Are my words not enough? There's that tension between words and action. When we speak, our words are held in doubt until proven. Our words, like in the song, only gain meaning after and can only refer to our actions. Our words without actions are fruitless, meaningless. They do not create. And this is the struggle that Paul has with the Corinthians. Can we trust Paul's words? His preaching? Did the resurrection really happen as Paul says it did? See, there was a problem in the eyes of the Corinthians who were Christians between Paul's words and the action that backed them up. Not that Paul had a scandalous life. They want proof. Influenced by Gnostic thought at that time, we've been studying this a little bit in our Bible study, influenced by Gnostic thought, they believed that speaking in tongues, ecstatic experiences of unintelligible words and truth, was their guide to higher spiritual knowledge that transcended the earth, that transcended the material world and brought them closer to the purity of God who has no form and is only spirit. Their ecstatic speaking only confirmed a personal transcendence for them, something that they imagined brought them closer to God, but nothing in concrete that proved that they were closer to God. In fact, it was made up, making them feel secure that they had progressed in some way spiritually, making them feel secure that they had even attained a higher level of spirituality than Paul. And so Paul, from chapter 13 until now, talks about love as being the guiding light. And as orderly worship, that if there is speaking in tongues, that there's interpretation so the whole body of Christ can be edified. But this wasn't going on. It was chaos. And everybody did what they wanted to do. In reality, Paul's telling them that they were meaningless and empty because they are based only in their thoughts and ideas, but nothing concrete, no proof, no action, all made up so that they felt better. This self-seeking experience fueled their faith, but it also fueled the doubt of the resurrection. As if you have a transcendent experience and felt closer to God, What's the meaning behind the resurrection of Christ? And the Gnostics also taught that. Because God is pure, he would never become human. Because God is spirit, there's no way he would even die. Take on flesh. Take on blood. And so Paul's words are strong. Paul's words talk about the word becoming flesh talks about the word of salvation who came and died for us. Paul's preaching does not call for an ecstatic experience. Paul's preaching does not rely on an imagined power or authority. 
The truth of their words was based on their feeling. We kind of do the same thing in a way. We listen to God's word. We believe. But wouldn't we believe more if we could see Jesus? Wouldn't we believe more if we were sitting at his feet? We demand proof. We want to see with our own eyes so that we can be sure. Did anybody see Jesus rise from the dead? Are you sure? Based upon Paul's preaching? Paul argues, however, that his words have power and meaning only because of God's action in history among his creation. Only because his word is and his word creates and whatever God thinks or says, that happens. His words are truth, authority, and power because the word came in concrete form. The word was made flesh in Jesus Christ. The word that created salvation. The word that speaks forgiveness and gives forgiveness. The true word of God and from God is his action in history among his creation. Jesus' death, and resurrection is God's eternal word. So to show this, Paul goes on to name those who stand in testimony of the truth of history, the power and authority of Paul's preaching. In the order after the resurrection, the fact that he is a resurrected word appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then to five hundred, many of whom are still living, some of whom have died then to James, then to all the apostles. And Paul says, and finally to me, who wasn't even worthy, who at one time persecuted the church. This fulfillment of God's word to create salvation through the death and resurrection of his son are not empty words. They're not mere promises. They're not Paul's speculation. They're not hearsay, but are full of power and authority because of the resurrection. And since these words testify to what God created, they're active and they create faith and they grant forgiveness. These words bear fruit. They're not empty. And it's not because they're a fairy tale heard and retold that might be true and we hope it's true. No, they are grounded in history. That which the apostles heard and touched and saw with whom they ate. The resurrection of Christ is the meaning and power behind the words and preaching of Paul. If the tomb is full, then my words are empty and your faith is meaningless. The words of what I preach are meaningless and we are still in our sins. But if the tomb still holds my Lord, then my words are empty and hope. But if the tomb is empty, then my words are life-giving because their power comes from the resurrected Lord. In other words, the truth of Christ's resurrection is not because Paul says so. The truth of Christ's resurrection is not because I say so. Rather, my words Paul's words are grounded in the action of God attested to by thousands of people.
in his death and his resurrection. To hit the nail on the head, Paul's comparison between his preaching and God's action is based on a play on a Greek word meaning empty. Either the tomb is empty, as seen by hundreds of people, which makes his words power and authority, or the tomb still holds Christ. And my words are empty. And your faith is empty. And you're still in your sins. And renders your faith void. Nothing to be believed. Paul's words and his preaching and his faith run on empty. The empty tomb. Brothers and sisters, as I said before, my faith runs on empty. My faith is created and fueled by the power and the authority of the empty tomb. Witnessed by hundreds and preached by thousands over the centuries. My faith is alive because the tomb is empty and so is your faith. My faith is powerful because my resurrected Lord defeated death and sin. The words which I preach are authoritative and powerful. They are life-giving and fruitful not because I preach them, not because I went to seminary, not because I've studied the Bible or Greek and Hebrew, but because Christ rose from the dead. And that's Paul's point. My hope is in the Lord who has shown me his love. So like Jeremiah, I'm planted by a stream. A stream whose roots go down to the river. I'm not planted in a wasteland of emptiness and meaninglessness. So I ask you, are you running on empty? Do you doubt that word, that preach message, that it might just be words that we're hearing Sunday after Sunday? A nice fairy tale message? Or do you see their power coming from God's action in history? Let these words of Paul remind you that what Paul preached and what I preach point to the ground of your faith and your life. As Paul says, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scripture and that He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, to me. Where the tension of doubt exists for us when we use the words without action, with God there is no tension. His word creates and grants what it is, forgiveness, love, and eternal life. You know, at the end of the song, more than words, we hear the tension and the powerlessness of human words that seek fulfillment, that seek to believe. What were if I were to take away these words, then you couldn't make things new just by saying I love you. But only Christ's words have the power and the authority to make and create things new just by saying I love you. In Mark 2, Jesus says, but so that you know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, stand up, take up your stretcher and go home. And immediately the man stood up and took his stretcher and went and walked in front of them all. He creates peace and faith in the hearts of the disciples when he says, don't be afraid. By his word, you are decreed to be his child in baptism. 
The power of his word declares him present in bread and wine for you. By his word, he rebukes death and creates life in Lazarus' lifeless body. And with the same word on the last day, he will command you to come forth from the tomb to be clothed in a resurrection, eternal body to live eternally with him. By his word. As John says in his letter, we know that we will be like him because we will see him as he is. Let your faith run on empty on the empty tomb until you see him face to face. Amen. If you're interested in knowing more about Jesus Christ or about Grace Lutheran Church, please go to www.gracealoneonline.org. You can email us at gracealoneonline at gmail.com.